Hey, welcome uh, if you're a first-timer. Really good to have you. Welcome if you're online with us. Glad that you stopped in as well. We are one church in two locations as well as online whose mission is to win downriver to Christ. We are conflicted over all kinds of issues these days. Obviously uh, conflicted about some big issues, maybe some small issues. Maybe you have personal conflicted feelings about your career path or whether to start or stay in a relationship or as simple as whether to have long hair or short hair or to grow a beard. But the bigger societal issues that we're conflicted about, uh, these are the ones that, that uh, are causing hostility, causing division, causing strife, uh, like whether to kneel during the national anthem or conflicted over Black Lives Matter or conflicted over whether to support the police and or the protesters. And th- that, that kind of conflict is is uh, pulling us apart in a lot of ways, and we, we're, we feel compelled, we got to take one side or the other, but maybe in your quieter moments you really wonder, you think, well, I can see both sides on these issues. We began this series last week talking about racism and how on a personal level the answer to that is to let Jesus come into your life because uh, he makes personal racism unthinkable as we love our neighbors as ourselves, and we treat people without favoritism as God does. And if you didn't get to hear that message, check out the website or, or listen to the podcast. But I said then that this week we were going to look at things from a more societal level and talk about what real justice looks like. And if you're not a Christian, I, I wouldn't expect you to agree with everything I'm going to be talking about because typically people get their views on on these kind of matters from society. They kind of adopt whatever the current cultural standards are. But you need to understand that we're under the authority of God's Word. So what we care about is what God says. And uh, we we all, you know, bring our own perspectives from our own experiences and histories and traditions and biases. That's understandable. We filter all of our decisions through that. What I'm hoping is that you'll understand how we try to filter our thinking through what God says in His Word. That's our authority. And I know that can be difficult to understand because really it's something that God does in you when you begin to follow Jesus as your Lord. He begins to open your eyes to truths that aren't out there in in society, in the culture. Truths that you had never considered before or even been exposed to before. And so what we care about is what God says, not the culture, not the current societal views of justice, not the spirit of the age. And if you are a Christian, then what I'm challenging you to do is to begin to think more scripturally, to get God's perspective through the Bible so you can understand what he says about these issues. He's our authority. These issues of whether it's racism or justice or politics or science or drugs that we're all going to be talking about, these are important issues, but they're not primary issues. They're not salvation issues. These are secondary issues that we can have differences of opinion on and still remain in fellowship. But I want to really strongly encourage you, study the scriptures for yourself to see what God says. So what touched off this current concern about justice, of course, was the appalling uh, death of George Floyd at the hand of some Minneapolis police officers uh, using excessive force and ignoring his pleas. And most interpreted that as just another example of an injustice against someone who's black. And so the, the reaction was very virulent, but it seemed to be more of a, of a culmination of many years of 
injustices that for centuries many black people have felt like their lives don't matter to white people and white people have not understood how deep the wounds go. And, and so some were, were finally able to say, see, see, now you can see for yourself, this is what we've been talking about all along. But that reaction also degenerated. I mean, we were united, it seemed like, in condemning those, those actions of those officers. But now the, the response becomes one of, of division, hostility, of violence. We saw some who were supposedly calling for justice committing great acts of injustice through uh, looting, through vandalism, through destruction, taking justice into their own hands and causing retribution against people and businesses that had nothing to do with it. And some governing authorities not only approved of it, but actually uh, said, this is a good thing. So these are things that we're conflicted about in America. But what I'm trying to do in this series is to divorce it as much as I can from our current context to give you some biblical principles that are trans national that are transcultural and transracial because there is injustice all over the world there always has been and always will be and far greater examples of injustice than what we're experiencing here and now so when it comes to how to deal with injustice I think most people have good intentions they want something better but we have severe disagreements on how to get there the issues that, that are involved are, are many, and they can be very complex. But what I'm going to try and do is boil it down to three basic biblical principles, three truths, and it begins with this one. First, God is impartially just. We saw that last week. He is impartial. He is the standard for what is just. He's, he is righteous. He is holy. In fact, the word justice is another synonym for righteousness because God always does what is right and fair and good. And that's why long ago Moses sang the lyrics to this song in Deuteronomy 32 that he is the rock, his works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. He is the God of law. He is the law giver. Uh, he always gives us good laws and any time we break his law we commit moral and spiritual crimes against him he is the god of law and order not anarchy and chaos in fact he set up the nation of israel and told them through moses in deuteronomy 16 appoint judges and officials for each of your tribes in every town the lord your god is giving you and they shall judge the people fairly do not what pervert justice or show what partiality follow justice and justice alone so that you may live and possess the land the Lord your God is giving you isn't it true from the time that we're little tots we have this sense of justice imprinted on our consciences and that's why little kids are always calling out that's not fair that's not fair against every little perceived injustice against them as we get older we begin to become more outraged about injustices not only against ourselves but against others so think about how God the God of justice is outraged over injustices because justice demands punishment of the guilty as deserved and we know one day his justice will be fully displayed that day is coming what do we call that day it's going to be judgment day 
But until then, right now we live in a world where injustice happens, where sometimes the innocent are punished and the guilty go free. But let let me remind you that God is impartial. He is no respecter of persons. In fact, Romans 2.11 says, God does not show favoritism. He treats everybody the same. And guess what? He expects us to treat everybody the same. Not to show favoritism or partiality. And that's especially true when it comes to justice. Justice is blind. Which is why, you know, Lady Justice is pictured as wearing a blindfold. Because... It's supposed to be blind to a person's race or gender or wealth, power, or beauty. Everybody gets treated the same. That leads to our second principle. God charges government with doing justice. God has all authority. And yet he has delegated some of that authority to three spheres. To the family, to the state, and to the church. And a lack of authority is anarchy. And God is not a God of anarchy, but of order. And he calls us to submit ourselves to the authorities, beginning in the home. Submit ourselves to our parents. Submit ourselves to the civil governing authorities. Submit ourselves to our spiritual authorities in the church, to the elders. Now, that's not an unconditional command. It's a general principle, because if anybody ever tries to get us to do something that would disobey God, we're to obey God rather than man, right? That's the biblical principle. In fact, that's what's going on in some churches right now in our country, out in California, where worship gatherings like this one are against the law. Some churches have said, we're going to break that law because we've got to obey God rather than men. Now, you can agree or disagree on how they're going about that, but that's the principle that's being used. Or in Nevada, where the government is actually not treating everybody equally the same, but discriminating against churches, allowing casinos to have a bunch of people, but churches can only have less than 50 people. That ain't right. So this is the principle we're talking about. And this key passage that we've got to understand comes from Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, where the Apostle Paul writes, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Now, don't misunderstand and think that God has set up every single government on earth that practices tyranny and oppression. No, this is just the principle that God has instituted government authority. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. So that's serious. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. So you should be afraid if you do evil. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what's right, and you will be commended. Now that's God's intention. That's the ideal. For the one in authority is God's servant to do good. How? They do us good by providing an environment of peace safety and freedom and that's why the government has both a positive aspect where it protects the innocent uh, protects our God-given rights but it also has a negative element where it punishes the guilty who do crimes and do harm who do evil and if the government doesn't do that it violates justice Paul goes on if you do wrong be afraid For rulers bear the sword for no reason. I mean, what's the sword for? The sword is for punishment. They are God's servant, agents of wrath to bring punishment 
on the wrongdoer. So see, we do not take personal vengeance. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. But he entrusts that, delegates that to the government to take vengeance, retribution for him. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also why? As a matter of conscience. So we obey the laws, not just when the police are watching, but because it's right. Because God is watching. Here's the purpose of government. The state is to implement justice and eliminate injustice. Each person should be treated as he or she deserves without favoritism. One standard for everybody. Equal protection, equal rights, equal justice. But here's where the problem comes up. When we try to add a word in front of justice to make it something else, to make it social justice, or racial justice, or economic justice, or any other kind of justice, we have now moved away from what true justice is. Because when we put any word in front of justice, it's no longer blind. It's peeking out from the blindfold to treat people differently based on some kind of factor that they belong to some group or some class or some kind of people. And that is not true justice. That's favoritism. That's partiality. See, biblical justice unites us because we're all treated the same. Social justice divides us because it treats people differently, supposedly to try and even things out. Good intentions, but that's not biblical justice. I think people are using social justice now to, to almost play God, to make things all fair or equal in their eyes, and social justice becomes whatever they want it to mean. There's nothing objective to it. And so that's why some people can get upset and push back and say, like, how dare you be against social justice? That's a good thing. Well, no, it's not a biblical thing. See, people, I think, need a sense of self-worth. And so when you come from a secular viewpoint, you're looking for something to fill that gap of purpose in your life. You're looking for something to give you meaning. And so you are attracted to this woke concept of justice, of saying, we're going to play God, and we're going to make everything fair and equal based on what we think, even though that means treating people differently. And so you become born again by becoming woke, and you, you begin to judge other people's sins and condemn them for, for all kinds of things, whether they did them or not. They get blamed for things instead of blaming individuals who did those things. And we expect repentance from everybody, regardless of whether they did something or not. And i got to tell you, I am not responsible for your sins or their sins or anybody else's sins, past or present, and neither are you. You should never feel any sense of collective guilt because that's fake guilt. That is not the way God deals with us. He doesn't blame you for my sins or anybody else's. In fact, Scripture says children are not to be blamed for their parents' sins and vice versa. You're responsible for what you do. And that's why true justice treats everybody the way they deserve. Fairly, equitably, and not to be discriminated against. That's why the government protects our rights, that everybody should be able to obtain the necessities and opportunities of life. And if those rights get interfered with, then the state can step in and, and do something about that. But that doesn't mean the state should provide 
all the opportunities and necessities of life for us. In, in the name of some kind of economic justice, some claim the state should, should not treat everyone equally, but should give, give to everybody regardless of whether they deserve it or not, regardless of whether they've worked for it or not. Here's what God says in 2 Thessalonians. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Let that sink in. Now, we can argue about the extent the, uh, of the state's involvement when somebody cannot work, but don't let that undermine the principle that the role of government is to treat everybody the same. It's justice, not mercy, and not charity. It, the government bears the sword, not the cross. And see, even many Christians misunderstand that, and they think that that's what Jesus came to do. It, but look, you, look all over your Bible. Jesus did not come as a social justice warrior to start a social revolution and promote socialism. That wasn't his mission at all. He came to do what only he could do, which was to die for our sins. In fact, when they came out to arrest him, he said... Are you coming at me with clubs and swords like I'm leading a rebellion? No. That's not why he came. It doesn't mean that he didn't care because people were being mistreated and harmed by the Roman Empire. No doubt about it. But Jesus had a higher purpose. He came to preach the gospel, to offer mercy, and to appeal to hearts. Not to use force. The state can never really be charitable because in order to give some, something to some people, it's got to take from other people by the threat of force. It's not treating people fairly and equally. You say, but wait a minute, it's okay because we voted for them to do that. It's not like it's a king forcing it. Well, just because something is legal, does that make it just? Or is that just tyranny by the majority? He said, but wait a minute, doesn't Jesus want us to care for the poor and the marginalized? Yes, us, individuals, churches, charities. Jesus is all for voluntary charity. That's the way the early Christians operated, voluntarily sharing with one another. It was never by force. It wasn't by the government making it happen. Government should treat us all the same. So be very careful that you don't begin to say, well, God is on the side of this group of people, or he's on the side of the poor, or on the side of those people. No. Look at what God himself says in Leviticus 19. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great. But judge your neighbor fairly. See, the role of the state is different from the role of the church. And we've got to be cautioned not to reverse those roles. And we'll talk about that more next week because we're conflicted about politics too. But here's the difference. The government maintains law and order, operating by justice. The church provides salvation and discipleship, operating by grace. The power of the state is force. The power of the church is love. And I'll say it again. The best way to change the world is the way of Jesus. To change one heart at a time. To make an internal change 
and not just force an external change. So we got to ask, should social reform be on the church's agenda? What role should we have in eliminating injustice in society? Because we certainly deal with personal sins. We call those out. But now we're talking about societal sins political and economic systems and structures. For example, what if the government operates by a system that actually makes racism legal, that that approves of that? Well, now we got a problem. And of course, every system and structure is made up of individuals. And so we have to question, are we really dealing with a system or are we dealing with corrupt individuals? Because there are corrupt people in every place in society. Only individuals can permit and perpetuate injustices. So we've got to question that. We've got to look at all the stats. We've got to listen to all the personal stories to determine that. But what I'm trying to do now is to give you these principles that go beyond our current context and country. So let's take a look at three different views people have about the role of the church. What do we do? Well, number one, some say the church's only task is evangelism, of sharing the good news of salvation through Jesus, never really taking part in social action, participating in social service, benevolence, meeting people's needs, but never really dealing with the societal injustices. But then number two, there are some that say the church's only mission is social action, And typical of these churches is that they really no longer have a gospel to share anyway because they have moved away from the authority of Scripture. They've got complete mission drift. They don't really care about the afterlife, but only this life. And so the church is kind of like the Justice League, and they're concerned with setting up committees and councils to pass political resolutions and and boycotts. But then there is a third way, a third group. Some say the church's mission includes both, and I would agree. But by far, our primary mission is evangelism. Let's keep the main thing the main thing, which is sharing the good news of Jesus with the world, because that's the thing that only the church can do, the only thing with eternal importance. But there's also a concern for the here and now, and that people are treated fairly because we love our, we love our neighbors as ourselves. We don't want to see them discriminated against. So what I'm saying is, I'm not woke But I'm awake because of Jesus, what he says. 1 Thessalonians, you are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. So we do care about justice, but in a secondary way. We don't let it take first place. Here's what Jesus calls us to do in Matthew 5. You are the salt of the earth. We season everything. We try to make everything better. We try to influence it positively. You are the light of the world. We shine God's light and truth into the darkness and show them the right way. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father and heaven. So how do we do that on a societal level? Well, we take action against the causes of injustice by speaking out. Because where Scripture speaks, we speak. And we may sometimes disagree over some details or, or methodologies. But when we see an injustice, a true injustice, we speak out. That's our big idea. Is we act as salt and light. 
when we call for impartial justice. We call it out. We function as the conscience of the community. And we call the world to righteousness. And we, we can do that on social media, but be careful. Because first of all, don't just go, you know, virtue signaling about how morally superior you are. Not about you. And though we are the salt of the earth, be careful not to let your attitude become salty. You know, kind of hostile and divisive. Instead, let your language be salty in a good way. Colossians 4, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So when we do disagree and debate, we do it with kindness and understanding and patience. You can peacefully protest, picket, boycott, write letters to your elected officials to remind them of their responsibility to eliminate justice and injustice and implement justice. Do all that. We have the privilege here that we can vote and we can lobby and we can seek elected offense. Wow, wouldn't that be awesome to have more Christians with a biblical worldview serving in public office? I mean, we have some within our church and some who are running for office. We can join and support organizations that are working for true justice. I'll give you an example. Right to Life, which protects innocent life, which is what government should be doing. But i got to warn you, be careful about any organization because you got to know really what they stand for and where the money goes. That's why there's a big problem with, with using the phrase Black Lives Matter because there's two different kinds of people who are using that phrase. There are some who are calling for genuine needed reform of our judicial system and that blacks would be treated equally under the law, by the police, by the courts. But then there's also the Black Lives Matter organization, which is a political movement with a secular worldview, and a Marxist, anti-Christian philosophy, and an anti-police stance. And I do not want to be aligned with that organization. I'm not going to be deceived or seduced into a woke form of justice. I'm going to stand up for biblical justice because it's foolish to be anti-police in general because that's the only instrument the government has to carry out its God-given role to protect the innocent and punish the guilty. Now, the police need to be policed themselves so that they do not act unjustly either because, again, there are good and bad people in every profession, in every system, but they are needed because people unrestrained are capable of great evil and harm. So here's what we're called to do. Romans chapter 12. In fact, everybody, let's say this out loud together. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Refuse to get sucked into the hatred. Don't take the bait because you're never going to be able to fight hatred with more hatred or oppression with more oppression or discrimination with more discrimination or division with division. I will be careful of associating myself with anything that is not in alignment with what God says because I want my main affiliation to be with the name of Christ because I belong to His kingdom and I want to be a part of his cause. His cause is my cause. 
And so I'm going to always stand for what's right, regardless of pressure or criticism or hostility or backlash of any kind. Because whatever Scripture is for, I'm for. And whatever Scripture is against, I'm against. Simple as that. So how can you and I be salt and light for Jesus in our world? Let's pray about it. God, I want to thank you that that justice is coming one day. You're going to make all things right. But I'm also thankful for mercy that we don't get everything we deserve right now, God. But forgive us if we we stay silent in the face of evil. Because, God, we want to do what's right and good, but we don't always know how to achieve that. I mean, we know that Jesus is the ultimate answer and and that your kingdom is coming. But, Lord, until then, help us to pursue what's, what's just and even when we disagree over the means of how to, how to do that, help us not to be judgmental or assume bad motives about our brothers and sisters. That, God, in the church we would keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And that we be humble and really do care. And keep doing those good deeds, God. Even as we stay focused on our, our primary mission of sharing the gospel. Help us, God, to be more concerned with winning souls than winning arguments because we pray that in Jesus name amen and look if you're not a follower of Jesus my main concern for you is that you know that God is just and there is a judgment day coming and are you going to be able to stand before him and claim that you are perfectly just and righteous or will you admit that you are a lawbreaker that you have broken God's laws like the rest of us nobody is perfect in God's sight And that's why we need a Savior. And that's why he offers mercy so that we don't get what we deserve. God doesn't force any of this on you. It's not by force. It's by love. It's because he loves you that he sent his son into the world. It's because you mattered to him that Jesus died in your place to pay the price for your sins. You see, God's justice is satisfied in the cross because Justice was poured out as his son was punished in our place. And so God becomes both just and the justifier, the one who makes us right with himself. That's why Romans 8 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But more than mercy, not getting what we deserve, he gives us grace. More than we deserve. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we're forgiven. We have eternal life. We've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And so if that's something you like, if you're willing today to confess Jesus is Lord, I want him to save me from my sins. I want to be baptized into this new life. We would love to be able to help you to make the best decision ever. So reach out to us. Send a text, 734-304-7248, or email next at southpointccc.com because we would love to help you take your next step, whatever it is, to pray with you, to answer your questions, we want to be there for you. So, so please reach out. We're on your way out today in the lobby. Stop by rooms A, B, C, or D because there will be people there uh, that would love to talk with you and help you, all right? So as we get prepared to leave today, I want to remind you on your way out to continue to, to socially distance everybody online. Thanks for, for joining us as well. Be sure to wish each other a blessed week on your way out. Stay connected to God. Stay connected to one another. Invite somebody next week. Have a wonderful week.